today on Ag News Daily. Specifically, we're also excited because we have a big announcement around the new release of our Precision Analytics Agriculture Software. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is another Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored today by HTS Ag. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts, along with my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, it is rainy and gross and cold here in central Iowa. It is. Not a whole lot of planters running mm. in the fields today. I think this week is pretty much going to be a wash for a lot of guys trying to get uh, field work done and get crops in. Yeah, but you know, we had some pretty good recovery numbers when it when we look at the crop progress report from last week compared to the week prior. Good. You've got those numbers handy, Delaney? I do. So the biggest increase we saw here was definitely those folks in Iowa. The uh, tw- the week ending April 28th, which of course was last week, we saw 21% finished or planted in the fields compared to just 4% the week before. So Iowa definitely saw some huge jumps there, um, which were ahead of our, not quite ahead of our four-week or our five-year, four-year average, but pretty close there. Illinois guys are 9% complete versus 1% the week before. They're still pretty far behind their four-year average. Um, Other states that saw some pretty drastic jumps included Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan, Nebraska even saw a pretty significant jump there in corn-planted acres, so we are getting stuff rolling, but I know a lot of people are supposed to get wet weather here for basically the next two weeks. Yes, yeah, it is going to be a big slowdown for a lot of growers uh, given the cold and wet weather that is now moving across the uh, the corn belt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, so we got caught up. Now we're going to fall back behind, but that's planting. You know, that's that just how it goes every year. Yep. And and I don't know. I mean, usually folks say Mother's Day is really the time when maybe the markets will start to build in some of that premium. So we've still got a little bit of time before maybe we see some more price action there because of wet weather. But I thought this was an interesting piece of news for today. Mike, I don't know if you mentioned it on yesterday's podcast. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. But Starting tomorrow, we're going to see the Chicago Board of Trade reset price limits for grain and oilseed futures. Okay. Reset to what? Yep. So we're changing the limit up and limit down price levels. So for corn, Mm. we're currently at 25 cents and the expanded price limit will be 40 cents. For okay. our wheat producers, we're currently at $0.35 cents a bushel. New limit, expanded limit is going to be $0.55 cents per bushel. And then soybeans, the other big one there, is currently, I think it's $0.65 cents a bushel. And it's going to change to a dollar for the expanded price limit. All right. So we'll be able to see a little bit more movement if prices do start to get volatile. Yeah, but the, my question is... And I was talking to a couple other people about this. It's like, there's really no explanation in why they're doing this. So it's like, do they know something we don't know? Are they preparing maybe for some sort of trade negotiation deal where it's like, okay, we're going to put in these limits so that there are these expanded limits so we can take advantage of that? I don't know. I think it's very curious. Well, yeah. And at the end of the day, we're getting into planting season. This is when weather concerns start to cause bigger impacts in the markets. We've got huge short positions by the funds. Maybe they're just trying to be proactive and uh, get ahead of any massive price moves. Yep. I guess that could be it, too.
We don't know for sure. No, we don't. But you mentioned trade. And of course, the trade deal that we're all really watching is the one with China. And we had a statement earlier today from China's agricultural ministry. They said that 80% of the hog farms in China have decided not to replenish herds lost to African swine fever. So there is going to be a gap in production. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that China's hog production has dropped 21% since the first ASF outbreak earlier this year, or I guess late 2018. And, um, you know, pork products account for more than 60% of the country's meat consumption. It is unreal to me how much pork the, the Chinese people eat. It is a massive quantity of pork. Yeah, I can't remember the number right off the top of my head, but last week when I was talking to the Texas Farm Credit folks, China's consumption is about 64 million tons, I believe. The U.S.'s is like 37 or 39, so they're almost double, or they are basically double the consumption of pork versus the United States. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, they also we will have see a bigger population, this. you know, you got to take that into account, but yeah, they're three times larger population yeah. wise, yeah. but at the end of the day, a 21% drop is going to mean mm-hmm. that China is going to have to come into the market somewhere yes. in the global scene and buy pork. Hopefully this will encourage them to get that deal signed and they can come here and buy our healthy, delicious, tasty piggies. Yes, they will hopefully turn to the U.S., but one country that they're also going to be turning to, it looks like, is Argentina. On Tuesday, Argentina announced that it has struck a deal with Chinese authorities that would allow them to begin exporting pork to China uh, from 25 of their country's meat packing plants. So they're trying to take advantage of that African swine fever, and they've also been dealing with some volatility uh, due to their peso currency. And so they said that this is really going to help them and they've obtained approval to export to China and they are excited to, you know, I think it will help out not only their pork industry, but also their soy meal industry as well. Oh, yeah, I would think so. It would be of a big reason for Argentinian growers to or pork producers to expand their herds, herd mm-hmm. sizes quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And also just another quick update here about African swine fever. Um, China announced that they're now requiring their slaughterhouses, their pig slaughterhouses, to conduct self-checks monitored by veterinarians to curb the spread of African swine fever, according to a statement released by their Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs on Monday to try and help preventing the spread. So now, I don't know what that means. I don't know how they're going to implement that or authorize that, but that is uh, their latest statement in conducting hmm. African swine fever checks. Interesting. Yeah, I suppose they're going to keep an eye out for lesions and some of the other symptoms of ASF and maybe shut the plant down if they see it. I, I don't know. That's just a guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not for sure either. Interesting. Well, as long as we're on the topic of meat production, Delaney, I've got a report from the USDA. They announced that 2018 was a domestic red meat and pork production record year For the U.S., total red meat production was 53.5 billion pounds, 3% higher than 2017's previous record of 52 and change billion pounds. Um, I thought it was interesting that 49% of the annual production of all of this meat happened in Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, and Texas. The breakdown works out as such. Pork, 26.33 billion pounds, up 3%. 
And we saw beef production at 26.939 billion pounds, also 3% higher. Both of those were records. Veal, lamb, and goat production, this surprised me, were also up on the year. The only protein source that uh, that suffered last year was bison. Hmm. Well, I don't eat a lot of bison, Mike. I don't know about you. You know, I I don't either, and I you know maybe I should. Maybe I, they need a hand. I don't I know that do much like, about the bison industry. I do like bison burgers. They're pretty good. I think honestly, I like them sometimes even a little bit better than a hamburger. Well, they're very lean, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yeah, they're good. All right. Well, that's the news out of the USDA, Delaney. What else do you have for us? I do have some other news out of the USDA as well, Mike. I noticed today that. Secretary Purdue is going to be extending the deadline for the market facilitation program certification. That deadline was supposed to be tomorrow, May 1st, but now he revealed in South Dakota, or excuse me, North Dakota over the weekend when he was on his tour that producers have until May 17th to report their crop production for 2018 to receive those market facilitation program payments. Oh, good. So growers, if you haven't gotten that in there, now you've now got another, what, 17 days yeah. from today, from tomorrow? Yep. I'm guessing too, awesome. I'm not, this is just me speculating, but I'm I'm wondering if maybe part of the reason they did that was because, well, never mind. It says right here, weather conditions this fall, winter, and early spring have blocked many producers from completing harvest of their crops and even getting to the offices. So that would be the reason we're seeing that deadline extended. Absolutely. And Delaney, while we're talking about Secretary Purdue, bring us up to speed. What happened yesterday? I, t- I told our listeners that you were mm-hmm. trailing Secretary Purdue on a tour <laughs> of the Vermeer plant. Yes. Well, uh, what, what was it? What'd they do? Yeah. So I will play some of his comments from the media gaggle, which is essentially when all the reporters flock politicians or famous people and ask them questions, shove mics and cameras in their face. But um, he did give a free and open Q&A session to the media, which is always nice to know that those folks are still at our disposal to ask questions. Essentially, I don't know, it was it was a strange event. Um, he came to Vermeer, there were maybe 30 people there, and that's a pretty small event for Secretary Purdue to be in attendance at. He took a tour of the Vermeer building. Um, like I said, he took some questions at the end from media, but I don't know. I'm not really sure what the whole point of that visit was because in the press release it said he was going to be talking about trade and USMCA, but I think maybe it was more so a look at some of the people and manufacturing and ag industry that have been affected by trade deals not getting done, such as USMCA. That's just my take. I'm not for sure. It was just kind of a weird deal overall, like not a lot of hype. They didn't really promote it in the media. I mean, I got a press release Friday afternoon, so not a lot of time went into planning it like on our end. So I don't know. It was just, it was a little bizarre, but like I said, he did open it up for questions. So that's really nice that we got to ask some of those and there were some good questions asked. I was thankful actually it was a small event because there were, there was maybe one other person who was kind of an ag reporter. Otherwise everybody else was like local channel news stations. So I got to ask a majority of the questions. So that was nice. Oh, good. So what were, what were the the big highlights or do you want to play it? Let's let's save it for tomorrow. Um, but some of the big highlights were trade, you know, what's going on, flooding, E15, the usuals. But okay. um, yeah, and not that he had anything super newsworthy, kind of some of the same comments he continues to make. But we'll save that, those comments for tomorrow. 
Okay. All right. Very cool. So listeners do stay tuned. Um, I've got just something. It's not really a news story per se, but it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Reuters, again, massive uh, news wire service, has a front page article. And here's the title. Trade war and sagging prices push U.S. family farmers to leave the field. And it goes through and talks through growers who are thinking of leaving. The downturn in commodity prices is uh, causing these guys to exit the industry. And um, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, we've got ag on the front page of Reuters. That is a big story. Maybe maybe we're going to see these trade things get a little bit more play as the uh, negotiations drag on. Yes, negotiations are dragging on for sure. We are seeing Representative Robert Lighthizer and Steve Mnuchin back in Beijing today for more trade talks. We saw trade talks last week with Japan, and it sounds like ag really took a front seat in those trade negotiations. And then lastly, the the last piece of news I have in it is trade-related, is Mexico has finally approved a new labor reform measure which was essentially called for under the USMCA agreement. We saw President Trump demanding this. The reform is mandated in the new USMCA agreement and paves the way for workers to form their own unions and contracts over the next four years. And um, these reforms are greatly welcome. I think Democrats, this was a big sticking point for them as well. So hopefully with some of these changes, we will see USMCA agreement maybe come closer to finally getting passed by Congress. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed before uh, President Trump decides to just go ahead and revoke NAFTA yeah. to get this thing done. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news. It sounds like you are out of news. Yes. We have a fun Tech Tuesday discussion. So let's get into the markets. What do you say? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, we talk about it every day. They are your day-in, day-out partners in managing your market risk. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. And as we take a look at the markets, mixed trade here in the uh, grains, Front month, or excuse me, July corn up three quarters of a cent at 362 and a half. December new crop down a quarter at 381 even. In the soybean pit, July contract down six and three quarter cents at 854 even. November down six to close at 874 and three quarters. And Chicago wheat sell off continues. The July contract down six and a half cents at 428 and three quarters. December down five and three quarters. Bringing us to a close of 4.55 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, yesterday's weakness continues today in fat cattle. The June contract down 55 cents at 114.25. The August down 77.5 to close at 111.77.50. In feeder cattle, the August contract down a dollar 92.5, closed at 149.15. The, excuse me, September, now I'm messing with my Futures market here. September down a dollar ninety-five, even to close at one fifty fifty-five. And in lean hogs, the June contract was up seventeen and a half cents at eighty-eight twenty-two fifty. The July down seventeen and a half to close at ninety-two thirty-seven and a half. Quick look over at the dairy market in Class Three milk. We saw the May contract drop thirteen cents at sixteen oh eight, with the June down seventeen at sixteen twenty. Without further ado, let's jump into our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion. 
What should you expect from Precision Technology? How about a system that works from planting to harvest? It works with any color of equipment. It works seamlessly from field to computer. It comes with a team that is 100% dedicated to helping you benefit from Precision Technology. Ag Leader's Complete Precision Package is driving the new agriculture. Contact HDS Ag, your premier Blue Delta Ag Leader dealer at 800-741-3305 or visit htsag.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Tech Tuesday once again, and again, we are delving into the world of smart farming. Joining us this week is Michael Chasen from Precision Hawk. Michael, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Hey, I got to ask you right off the bat, you guys have something coming up here this next week. What can you tell us? What's coming from Precision Hawk? Well, we're going to be attending AUVSI, which is, I believe, the, the largest drone show uh, here in the United States. And uh, we're very excited. I actually am one of the uh, keynote presenters, uh, myself and one of our clients, uh, Florida Power and Light. will be talking a little bit on stage. But specifically, we're also excited because we have a big announcement around the new release of our Precision Analytics agriculture software. Uh, you know, we've been in the in the drone space, uh, gosh, for a number of years now. We're probably the number one commercial uh, drone company, and we work with uh, a number of uh, corporations and farmers in uh, agriculture, uh, helping them utilize drone technology to analyze their crops. And to date, a lot of that in the past has been done with basically flying drones over the field and using maybe a visual or a thermal and a LIDAR sensor, gathering some data and running some basic analytics. But what we've seen is that as the market has matured uh, more and more, people have wanted to be able to get more results out of that data, to give them better information to make business decisions on what's going on with all of their uh, crops and their yields. And uh, what we've been doing is we've been working very closely with our clients to further develop our solution to start to incorporate some pretty advanced AI and machine learning so that now not only can you get more accurate summaries of what's happening with your, with your uh, uh, crops, but you can even start doing real predictive analytics to say, hey, based on, these, uh, based on this analysis, here's what's likely to happen in the future. So, you know, I, I think an industry that started by just saying, hey, we're going to start taking drone images and doing some basic things like, uh, you know, crop counts and, you know, kind of measuring the size of our, our, our farmland now can start really doing some interesting things with predictive analytics to start figuring out early on what's going to happen in the future um, with all their growing. It's fascinating to see how this technology, the drone and the sensing technology, has now come together with, as you mentioned, AI and machine learning to kind of push us to the next level. But, Michael, it has been uh, a quick maturation, but it has still been a process. Can you give us the background on Precision Hawk? How long have you guys been around? Well, Precision Hawk has been around for about six or seven years, but really the commercial drone industry just started taking off uh, – in, in 2016. So, you know, as uh, a lot of your uh, listeners are probably aware, um, before uh, August of 2016, it was very difficult for any corporation to use drones. Even though the military had been using drones for a year and with a multi-billion dollar market, and even though the consumer drone space has also been growing a bit of multi-billion dollar market, because uh, commercial airspace is controlled by the FAA, there was a restriction on companies utilizing drone technology. But then in August of 2016, um, the FAA came out with what's called Part 107, 
which is a series of rules and regulations that if corporations followed, they could start deploying drone technology. So what happened was, I could tell you that in uh, the latter half of 2016 and throughout 2017, a lot of different corporations and a lot of different uh, farmers and uh, companies in the agriculture space started doing pilot projects. Like, saying, oh, hey, is drone technology going to be useful to me? And they ran that process during uh, 2016 and 2017. And then what we started seeing in 2018 and 2019 was mass deployments. Uh, We have some clients that are deploying million dollars of uh, drone technology uh, into their farms to start collecting data. And now what we're seeing as we're, you know, uh, a quarter through 2019 is that they're saying, hey, not only has this technology been helpful, but we want to start getting even more out of this data. What else can you tell us? Which is why we've really been staffing up on our uh, technology side and our neural networks and AI side to get more information out of the data our drones have been collecting. Okay. So it's really taken off just in the last, you know, in the last uh, two years and more so just in the last year of people starting to do enterprise deployments of drone technology. Now, Michael, you said something interesting there that I want to circle back to. You said neural networks. What is that and how does it apply to to drone and sensor technology? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I kind of use uh, artificial intelligence, computer vision, machine learning, or, or neural networks, really all interchangeable. They all well, have different meetings. They all overlap a little bit. And what I mean by that is how we're training our solution to be able to recognize patterns in different fields for different people deploying the technology. So, you know, a lot of times our technology is deployed very specifically for a certain client. They might be, uh, you know, growing Uh, tomatoes in one part of the country or apples in another. And even though just the general data set can, of course, be helpful for having the computer learn to count the plants or the health of plants, uh, you know, you want to actually run very specific circumstances for the computer vision machine learning to work on that particular crop. Um, When I talk about neural networks, I'm talking about all of the data we gather coming back to inform and teach our centralized um, AI solution so it can start you know, generating some meaningful results right away. Gotcha. Now, Michael, we're talking AI. We're talking neural networks. We're talking drone and sensor technology flying around in the sky, a million dollars worth of equipment deployed into a field. My question is, let's bring it back to me, the grower, me, the uh, not the pilot necessarily, but the person on the ground who's going to take the, dis- the, the evidence and make a decision. What is it like for me? How are you guys providing me with the data, the actionable information that I need? Well, there's really two ways. So we have a number of farmers that are uh, very tech savvy, and they've gone out and bought their own drones, um, or they might even buy a drone from us. And uh, they then fly that drone, typically with a visual sensor, maybe also a a thermal sensor. And uh, they gather the data. They can then load it in our system. They can stitch together their fields, which are often very large in size. So it takes the drone multiple shots to to take pictures of the entire entire field. And our system will automatically stitch it together and run some basic analysis. And you can do that yourself uh, sitting from your home office. Uh, Some of our clients actually hire us to come out and fly their fields. And they may want to fly the fields once a month or once a quarter or just during the growing season or even year-round. And then we actually work with them to process the data and help them understand what the data is showing. So whether you're a, you know independent farmer who um, just wants to fly his own drone and collect the data, but you need a place to process that data, or whether you're some big agriculture corporation that wants uh, custom algorithms developed and wants us to come fly every every week or every month for you to, to gather the data. We work with clients both big and small. 
So let's talk about before we get to the 30th, what kind of of analysis can be done today with the uh, with the Precision Hawk software. I mean, there's a really a pretty wide range of analysis that can be completed. So with just visual sensors, we can do things like um, count your crops, your canopy coverage, even do uh, health inspection. Um, when you add thermal or if you decide to also add LIDAR, for example, we can then start looking for specific traits. So we can actually look for different types of infestation, water damage. We can do measurements from the ground to the top to the height of the crop to get a better sense of your yield. Um, if there's uh, different um, bugs or diseases you're looking for, we can train our AI system to identify those, and then when we're flying over the, the crops, our system can automatically identify what might be more difficult for the human eye to even find. Fascinating. And then on the 30th, you're making this announcement, you're going to take that suite of available tools, and it's basically going to expand. That, that's kind of what you guys are talking about. Yeah, so, I mean, to date, what really uh, farmers and the big ag have been doing has been just basic analytics on these on these imagery. So doing basic measurements and a little bit, you know, more kind of, you know, whatever you can tell by just looking at a photo. And what our announcement is about is we're now applying artificial intelligence, computer vision, and machine learning to, to the farmers. So we're giving you this very advanced technology that can help you make even more informed decisions on the data that's collected with the drone. So it really brings the analytics up an entire level. And we don't even know yet the full possibilities of what this is going to really bring the industry when you can take some of this advanced AI, the stuff that people are using in self-driving cars or, you know, people are using um, uh, for predictive analytics and apply this now to growing uh, and apply this now to crops uh, in an industry that's for the first time getting, you know, 12, 20 or even 100 megapixel images from the air of their farmland and all the extra detail that that's capturing. So what I'm excited about is not just us bringing artificial intelligence to uh, the growers and the farmers, but the things that we haven't even thought of that this is going to enable once people start collecting more and more data, training the system uh, in more detail. Because that's the thing. Once the once you've trained a neural network or an AI system to effectively think, the more data it has, the more nimble those thought processes can become and, and the more it can adapt. Isn't that right? Yes, and I, I mean, the things that I think that we're going to be able to tell once we start getting all this additional input from all these farmers, and we, we're just thinking of the easy things. We're saying, hey, we think we can identify different infestations or different crop damage or different water damage or different counts or do predictive analytics on, on, the, on the yield and the growth. But it's the things we're not thinking of that this might tell once you're really starting to load the system with data that we're actually so excited about. Yeah, and that's just time is gonna t- time's gonna wait and show us what it is that's uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating. Now, Michael, for a lot of our listeners who aren't going to be at the drone show, how can they follow along? Where can they get more information after the announcement is made on April thirtieth? Well, you can, uh, of course, visit our website at precisionhawk.com. Uh, in addition, we're going to have, uh, you know, press release and announcements, and we'll make uh, demos of our software available right from our website if you're not attending the conference. Um, so it'll be pretty easy to check out our new technology and for us to uh, showcase what we're releasing. Fascinating. It is a brave new world we are heading into when we're looking at aerial imagery and the things we can do with computers. Michael Chasen from Precision Hawk. Hey, thanks for walking us through this, and good luck on the 30th. 
Yeah, well, thank you very much. We're very excited about it. We appreciate you taking the time to better understand the uh, and, and hear about our big announcement. We think it's going to be terrific for the industry because you're not only going to see this further adoption of drone technology, but now what can you really do when you're applying AI to to the to the farms, uh, the independent farmers, the community farmers, and the and the big ag that are all now starting to employ this advanced technology. I'm very excited for what the future holds. Very cool. Folks, check it out, precisionhawk.com. And again, that's Michael Chasen, the CEO, talking to us today. Michael, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Have a good day. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, I'm sorry you missed that conversation. It was fascinating. It's unbelievable what they are doing with this artificial intelligence and machine learning and this, these things that I can't possibly comprehend. They're bringing this technology to growers. It's pretty fascinating. It really is, Mike. There is lots of fascinating things going on in the world of technology. And folks, if you have interesting tech companies that you're working with or maybe want to get the lowdown on, Mike and I are more than happy to bring them onto the podcast, ask them the hard questions, or maybe not the hard questions. But if you have recommendations, you can hit us up on Facebook or on Twitter at Ag News Daily. Mike, if they want to catch up on old Tech Tuesday interviews, where can they go? You should type into their browser, agnewsdaily.com. It will redirect them right to our new home or landing page at the Global Ag Network. They can get in touch with all of our past episodes, their Tech Tuesday and otherwise. And they can also get caught up on all of the other podcasts that are part of the fantastic Global Ag Network. So, folks, check that out. Get down there and uh, and stay caught up with everything that's happening in agriculture. And with that, Delaney, what do you say? Do we let the people go? Let's let them go. 